0: Well, what is the church could you answer that question or at least have some place uh, to start in answering that question it's a question we've been uh, asking the last several weeks and trying to answer that uh, from God's word together the church that is now being repaired restored in the Lord Jesus is the true Israel of God uh, looks a certain way and as Heath was talking about those ever-important pictures we mentioned some of those last week. churches to look like a building, a holy temple in which the Lord dwells. We're a family, uh, one family uh, with uh, Christ as our head. Um, and We're a body, each one an important body part uh, in, uh, uh, in Christ's church. But this morning we're going to ask ourselves that question one last time and we're going to insert some of the defining attributes, uh, characteristics of the church. I don't think they're unfamiliar to us. Uh, Especially if we've grown up in a tradition that recognizes creeds in the church, like the one we've just affirmed together in the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' uh, Creed. Um, Creeds summarize for us what the Bible uh, teaches, provides that common ground uh, with other Christians. The past, present, uh, and the future. Uh, So embedded in these creeds, we find uh, these important attributes of the church. And so we're going to look at several passages again this morning. But our focus tax is going to be in John 17. So you can turn there if you haven't already. It's also printed print in your bulletin there. These verses are really in the middle of a prayer that Jesus is offering. Offering for his disciples and offering for disciples yet to come. He's praying for you and I here in John chapter 17. This is right before his arrest and his death. I think that's pretty significant for us. We consider all the things that Jesus could be praying about, all the things that were on his mind and heart in the hours before, this is what he's he's praying for. He's praying for you. He's praying for the church. So John 17, we're going to read verses 17 through 23. Jesus offers, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. That they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. These are the words of our Savior and Lord, and the very head of the church. Let's pray together. Our great God and King, we do thank you for these words. Words that have come through your only begotten Son, before your ears. A word that we need to hear Lord, as we acknowledge Jesus as the very head of of your church, we acknowledge our need to understand and to grow in the the likeness of our Savior, to grow as a church. Father, we pray that you would make make us attentive now, that we would listen well, that our hearts and minds would would receive, how you would speak to us through this word. We need your help to listen, to apply, speak faithfully through your servant now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. My son loves to build with Legos. Maybe that's part of your story or some in your house. Um, it's where his creativity really shines, sort of a snapshot memory, and he'll, he'll start you know, creating these things out of Legos. If you give him a new Lego set before I can get the instructions open, he's got the thing built. And uh, it'll usually stay that way for a few days, and then it all comes apart and joins the rest of the pieces in mass where, uh, where he makes uh, his own uh, Lego projects. And I have one of them here. This is one he put together this week. And uh, I can tell, and, and you can probably tell from where you are, that this is an airplane. Shocker, I know, to most of you. Um, but this is not just any airplane. This is a P-38 Lightning. It's a, a U.S. World War II-era fighter uh, with a very distinct design. You know, these two distinct booms, the uh, big engines out in front, um, the single pod in the middle, all the firepower concentrated here, these 30-millimeter cannons, designed to be very fast, climb and dive very, very quickly. Um, but to, to call this uh, airplane a Mustang or an Avenger or a Wildcat would be entirely inaccurate because it has these specific characteristics. They're part of its design. Um, There are specific attributes that go with the church. And when you're talking about the church, these characteristics go with it. um, These characteristics are something that is to be confessed. um, They're always true of the church. um, They provide the the marks for understanding what a healthy church looks like. And as human beings, we're always debating things, sometimes for very good reasons, uh, sometimes because we can and just want to debate things. And so the marks of a healthy church are often up for debate, but the attributes of the church are are defining. They're not up for debate. I think think one of the best examples of this, I could think of this last week, and is certainly at the doorstep of the church, is marriage, marriage. And we we certainly don't have time this morning to answer all those questions and explore uh, what the church is facing uh, in regards to this. But the definition of marriage is not, has never been up for debate. Um, Marriage is, is a creation ordinance. So it's actually defined and designed by the one who made it and decreed it. It has distinct attributes. There's one man and one woman committed for life. Those attributes are confessional. They're not debatable. So to call marriage something else with different attributes is to no longer be talking about marriage. To call the P38 a Mustang is, or a C-130 no longer to be talking about the P38 or its design, what it was created to do. So the church has, has unique attributes that we must be familiar with that we must um, define biblically according to God's design so what are they um, the church is one church we're gonna look at that each of these uh, it's a holy church it is a Catholic and apostolic church uh, we're gonna we're gonna flesh out some of the implications of each of these uh, attributes uh, in John 17 it's the, it's the unity among the people of God that is of the utmost importance To Jesus as he prays, verses 22 and 23, that the church would grow and mature toward complete unity of purpose, mission in Christ. The people of God would be united in their Christ-likeness. The Apostle Paul speaks of this in Ephesians 4, where he appeals to unity in the church. While he's doing this, he's not making blanket statements like, okay, if you're going to be unified in the church, then you all need to meet here at this specific time, this specific place, all the time. Or you all need to give uh, this much of your property to this cause all the time. Or you all all even need to to believe this this strain of, of doctrine the same way all the time. That's not how Paul goes about it. His petition for unity is based on the objective non-debatable reality that Jesus holds the church together. Now, Paul, of all people, will emphasize the importance of doctrine and right teaching in the church. But he says the church is held together by Christ. He's the one who fills it and enables it. So it is one because it's in him. And our faith is in him about a week ago someone came in and sat at this piano here with their tuning equipment and for the untrained ear the piano probably sounded fine but if you play the instrument over a period of time you can tell when it starts to get a little sharp or a little flat I don't know pianos usually go a little sharp maybe flat he said it was flat I got that wrong so so we we had to sharpen the piano now this, this gentleman did not bring in another piano and go back and forth and tune it against another piano or another instrument. He, he had these specific tools that had a, a tuning standard so that he could tell when he needed to adjust uh, the string so that it would reverberate at just the right frequency. And if, if that's done, you know, he doesn't tune it to Heath's guitar, but if, if that piano is in tune and Heath's guitar is in tune and the bass over there is in tune, then all of these instruments share a unity. Tuned specifically with these instruments, but they're now tuned with each other. They can play together in unity. So when each one in the body of Christ, each local representation of the church is tuned to the Lordship of Jesus, then it will unite us. It will draw us closer to one another. Draws closer as churches. Much more so than we, if we were to tune ourselves off of each other or tune the life of the church off of another church. So maybe you're starting to, to hear some of the implications of this. The church that exalts the name of Jesus above all, that submits to the lordship of Christ and his word, it's going to be drawn closer to gatherings of folks that do the same, that want to exalt the name of Christ, that want to to follow His Word and operate in a similar way. It's our union with Christ, our hope in the gospel that unites us, molds us together. So even when we look and feel, as a local church, very different than another local church, the Spirit of Christ is at work pointing to, exalting Jesus, then there's unity. Um, but we need to be honest here. Sometimes that unity is, is deep. Like you have, to, you have to go down a long ways before you can find it. But we need to be eager for that. We need to be eager for, for unity. Fight for the unity of the church. Um, doesn't mean every church is going to look the same. We need to appreciate and celebrate uh, the union that we have in Jesus, this oneness, this spiritual unity in the body of Christ, um, that has encouraged uh, the forming of denominations. It also makes the forming of denominations look not so good. Um, think, well, why is this? What's going on here? Um, because God's good and perfect word is interpreted by people like me and you, who are not perfect. I think of uh, Pastor Francis Schaeffer a wonderful teacher and apologist. He says, God has revealed to us absolute truth, but we are not able to grasp God's truth absolutely. So, we live in a land where there's a different play. We're going to interpret things differently. From what the Bible teaches. We'll debate things that are often secondary in importance. And these differences can cause division, and oftentimes uh, do. to cause us to align with certain uh, groups, to to not align with others. And I think this is grievous to the heart of God. Denominational platforms just chip away at the unity, the oneness of God's design for the church. It was a prayer of Jesus that the watching world would know Him more, would know what He has done more through the church. So with so many denominations, so many split Ps in the church now, it's almost the opposite. Why would I want to be part of that? There's no consensus. They can't make up their mind on anything. But before we throw out the denomination, the alignment of local congregations with some and not with others, consider the goal, what the goal should be of a healthy denomination or association of churches. If our desire is for unity, to grow in Christ-likeness, it only follows that we would align ourselves with those who who desire to do the same thing, to pursue the the purity of the church, to encourage greater unity within the church. So that, that organizational unity that associations and denominations provide should encourage... Spiritual unity. That's their design. So it's within denominations, and I'm speaking generally here about denominations, but uh, that believers in local churches are are held accountable for what is being taught, uh, what's being preached for the glory of God. Uh, So denominations enable local churches to serve in ways that that they could not, uh, just by themselves. If every local church were completely independent training and selecting their own leaders accountable only to itself for teaching and mission, responsible when it opens and closes and so forth, uh, we'd see far more dysfunction uh, in the life of the church than we do now. So, praise God. Praise God for the the stability, accountability, and pursuit of purity and unity in the church that denominations provide. Um, That's why this church... in the the mid-80s, said, you know, we're not in this alone. Um, We want to align ourselves with other congregations who believe and value what it is we value. Uh, That's why it's so important for the unity of this church to uh, be in tune with what the denomination is doing, how to participate in that. We'll talk more about this as we uh, look at how the church is structured in the next few weeks. But the more we grow and mature as a people in the Lord Jesus, Uh, the more we're able to look past the surface-level worldly divisions and appreciate our gospel identity in Christ. So an attribute of the church is that it is spiritually one in Christ. It's also holy. Definitively holy. A one-time sense. Holy. We are are holy in this moment. Right now. Because of the finished work of Jesus. God has raised us up with Christ. Christ. Paul says in Ephesians 2, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5. We are dead to sin, but alive in Christ. That means we're holy. We are set apart to God right now. But the sanctification of the church, the degree to which we are growing and maturing, means that this holiness continues. We continue to grow in holiness. We hear this in the family imagery of Ephesians 5 that we mentioned last week. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. From the lips of Jesus, John 17, verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. The church is holy, growing in holiness. An example we can appreciate in a morning such as this. Those little ones that are born, they are complete persons as infant children. And yet they're going to grow and learn and mature. So the little one that we hold now is going to be very different from the adult. But it's still the same person. Holy but growing in holiness. So what does it mean for the church be holy, to grow in holiness. It means that the pursuit of holiness and the power of the Holy Spirit is His intention for us as individuals and as a church. We're to come under the discipline of of God's Word every day, receive this discipline as a dearly loved children in relationship to our Father. You've heard me say this before, but the most powerful motivator is love, because of God's love for us, that we willingly receive his discipline. It may be painful at times, it often is. But we know he loves us. And he's working for our growth and holiness. I think this attribute underscores the importance of church discipline, and necessity for the health of the church, holding one another accountable in love as those who are part of one family, right? Encouraging one another unto godliness. It's very different than than looking down our, our noses with a critical spirit. Looking for reasons to separate ourselves. Coming alongside one another in love and respect. To keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. God is redeeming, purifying His bride for that great celebration that we long for. So our holiness is both absolute and it's progressive it comes only only through the righteousness of christ the church is one the church is holy and the church is catholic it's an attribute we've come across before in asking this question the foundations of the church the church from of old through the generations there are times when the church is more visible than it is at other times but people who believe In the Lord Jesus Christ from all over the world. Revelation chapter 5. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. All believers are sons and daughters of God. The term Catholic as an attribute of the church um, does not identify uh, the true Israel of God with the teaching tradition of the Roman Catholic Church. I think sometimes that is uh, displaced there. Um, It's synonymous with universal or a comprehensive nature of the church. Um, So when Jesus commands his disciples, go, make disciples of all nations, we have the, the Catholicity of the church in view there. Catholicity of the church aligns naturally with the spiritual ethnicity of the church. So Paul tells the church in Galatians 3, he says, "You know these aren't dividers. Race, social status are not discriminators in the church. He says, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek neither slave nor free. There's no male and female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. I I think that verse says it about as clear as could possibly be said. There's a unity among a Catholic church in the Spirit of Christ. So practically then, as part of a Catholic church, again, not talking about the Roman Catholic tradition here, um, as a Catholic church, we cannot exclude those who are different than us. There's no racial discriminators, no social, no economic, sexual distinction with the gospel of the Lord Jesus. There are no national distinctions. The church is not American. America is not the church. The Catholic church is international. It's a global church with Christ as the head. And in some local assemblies, uh, they'll have flags up near the front of the church so let's see you're facing this way the american flag would be over here and the christian the white christian flag with the blue cross would be on this side now, i'm not disparaging that practice i think it'd be very healthy and good for uh, uh solidarity and, and community um, but i'm also grateful that we don't have those flags up front um at least as part of our aesthetic of worship here in this church, we may be very patriotic. I'll put my patriotism next to anybody. Um, but we're not equating the truth of the gospel with life in America, or promoting a national religion. I mean, the Lord has been merciful and entrusted this land with so many things, tremendous resources. But America is not the true Israel of God. We should be grateful for this land. Fight for it. We're part of something much bigger. Much bigger as the Catholic Church. Our first allegiance is there. It's much bigger than to this land. And so I, I trust you'll agree. It's easier for us to gather with those of, of like minds, similar heritage. Grateful for the heritage that God has given to us. But we must make every effort to reach all men, women, and children with the gospel. So how often do we think about that? Think of ourselves as just one, you know, one small part of a Catholic church. Think how that might affect our what is we value in our practices here as a church. Finally, the church is apostolic in verse 20 of Jesus' prayer. it says, "I do not ask for these only, so that's the disciples who are with him, but also for those who will believe in me through their word." So it's the teaching of the apostles. That is, the foundation of the church. Early Christians dedicated themselves to the teaching of the apostles. They might know how to live and operate as the people of God. Acts 2 is an example of that. Again, I think of Paul who's just red in the face as he's writing to the church in Galatia. He says that faithfulness to the gospel is the true test of apostleship. Now, the apostles put their pants on the same way you and I do, if they wore pants like we do. Never mind, just forget that. Um, but they weren't, they weren't just anybody's either. Okay? They were entrusted with the gospel, the very personal teaching of the Lord Jesus. So when we label a, a common creed like the apostles' creed, it means that we are aligning ourselves, we are believing what we say we are, is what is the teaching of the apostles. Um, the church is founded, grounded on this apostolic message. They're empowered by the Holy Spirit to, to speak and act in the name of Christ. So you cannot have apostasy, okay, a leaving and abandonment of the truths of Christianity, without having an apostolic foundation. You can't have apostasy without it. Um, so and again, I, I don't mean to, to beat up on the Roman Catholic tradition uh, here, I know some of you have come out of that tradition or are very familiar with it, and I want to be sensitive to that. Uh, but there's a very important distinction to make here. Um, in a Protestant church like, like this one, it is faithfulness to the apostolic message as given to us in the Bible that makes us an apostolic church. Okay. In a Roman Catholic church, it's a, a succession of apostolic authority and teaching that's been transmitted from one, uh, one person to the next through generations. So Peter is considered the supreme pastor and teacher of the church. His authority is somehow transmitted as infallible uh, doctrine to the Roman bishop, who we know as as the pope. Um, I do find that somewhat ironic, given the picture that we have of Peter uh, in the New Testament. Uh, But what is certainly clear is that this organizational succession from one pope to the next is no guarantee not even the slight assurance of doctrinal faithfulness and adherence to an apostolic gospel. The one holy Catholic church is built upon Christ as the cornerstone and the foundation of the apostles' teaching, unique authority entrusted to them. So what does that mean for us? It means we need to love, encourage healthy communication and pursuit of holiness between those who may have a very different perspective of what apostolic means. Um, I've already mentioned the Roman Catholic Church. We might also consider those in charismatic uh, circles. Uh, but say that the church today is, can do exactly, and should be doing exactly what the apostles did in the New Testament times, performing miraculous signs and wonders and so forth. And we do not deny in any way God's ability to do that and His power to reverse the laws of nature. He can, he can certainly uh, do that. Uh, but that's not our focus. it and you appreciate the unique authority given to the apostles at that time. Um, also, that this attribute has a way of highlighting the importance of sound teaching. Um, leaders with, with sound teaching, the apostles stressed this to new elders, the men they mentored uh, for the pastorate, time and training, uh, whether that's in a church Sunday school environment or a seminary or a conference or prayerfully, men and women are being uh, grounded in the apostolic teaching. That's not wasted time. We didn't know that as a church. Supporting individuals who are training for that type of leadership is not wasted time or resources. Um, we need proper preparation um, for them. And being apostolic means at times, as a church, we need to make confessions or. Mission statements to encourage faithfulness. Faithfulness to the gospel, to that apostolic teaching, helps us define the swim lanes of who, who we are as a church. You've got eight people jumping in the water and there's no swim lanes. What's going to happen if they need to make a few lengths? Well, they're, they're going to be all over the place, running into each other, swimming in circles, um, fencing in the lanes. The gospel, the teaching of the apostles, um, which you have. Right there, sitting in your lap. Um, That is what defines the church. So, it's not just any Lego airplane, right? Defining characteristics that make it a P-38. God has shown us defining characteristics of the church. Um, It's God's intention. If it is God's intention for His church to to show what, what life is to be like, relationship with Him. These attributes, they must be acknowledged. They must be confessed. Um, It's my prayer that that would encourage, encourage us in pursuit of our God and to persevere as a local representation, as a church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank You for Your church. We thank You for our cornerstone and head of the church, the Lord Jesus, who unites us as one people. Thank You that You have set us apart, Lord, that we are holy unto You and You don't give up on us. You continue to work in us individually and as Your church. May we be a faithful representation of You in this place. Lord, we're grateful that You've given us Your Word, the apostolic message that we can know and learn and grow in, Lord, may we be uh, honest with ourselves in how we treat one another, how we look to those around us who may be in, uh, growing up in very different traditions. Uh, give us grace. Give us wisdom. May we be kind, gentle, patient. We thank you for this time and your words, these words from the mouth of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.